Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of context of this. Uh, Ronnie's going to read here uh, in just a moment, but Paul here has to defend his apostleship. There's some folks that real, aren't real excited that he's in town, typically, when he's in town. Now, some people have open arms to him, but some people do not. And the ones that do not are still thinking, yeah, but we're on the side of the Lord. We just want to undercut you. And so they do that. And they come with some vicious attacks, frequently verbal attacks. So Paul feels like he's got to talk about what's happening in his life. And what's happening is suffering. He is suffering. And the opponents are using that suffering against him. And so if you're doing that, you've got to somehow turn the argument. And Paul does. Paul talks about the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit. And Paul says, listen, while you're questioning my motives, I want you to know that to go through what I go through, there's no way you could do it without God. God is my resource. And this suffering is a means that he uses everywhere I go to reveal his glory. It's an amazing Amazing thing that's done here. Now, Ronnie, in just a moment, Ronnie's going to get down to verse 4. And when she does, uh, she's going to go through three verses, then she gets to verse 4. And what you're going to notice there, there are th lists. In fact, you could see this is one long list, but I don't buy it for a minute. It's not just one long list. There is a list of nine that talk about the hardships. Then there's a list of nine things that talk about virtues. Then there's a list of nine things that talk about interesting contrasts that happen when you serve Jesus. So a list of hardships, then virtues, then contrasts. Watch for them as Ronnie reads. Would you please stand now in reverence to the Word of God? Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord God, you are so good, so mighty, so true. And Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, we pray that as Dr. Friedman speaks to us today, that your wisdom uh, come to us through him, um, and that the, the knowledge of who you are moves from our ears into our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. 
this is an extraordinary passage of Scripture. In fact, it's all extraordinary in one very real sense. But here Paul is talking about, again, hardship. He's talking about virtue. And he's talking about these contrasting dynamics that come to our lives. I was interested particularly in the hardship one. Most of us want to do anything we possibly can to get away from hardship. And boy, I get that. That's just a matter of self-preservation, that. But nonetheless, I think we've got to be very watchful when we're trying to get away from stuff that might be used by God to build us. Because I think sometimes we can try to put hardship behind us and we end up in a spiritually dead place. When Jesus says, I want you to follow me, he says, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up the cross. I want you to follow me wherever I go. And sometimes I'm going to go to places of refreshment, but sometimes I'm going to go to places that are desert. You need to come with me. No matter where I go, you need to come as you deny yourself and as you take up your cross. Now, I think anybody would look at that and say, well, then for crying out loud, who in the world would want to follow Jesus if that's what's going to happen to your life? And I think that's a great question. But I think the more we think about it, it's where we want to live, it's how we want to live. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, there was researchers at Stanford and Florida State University they combined together, and what they wanted to find out was what comprises the meaningful life. And so they asked people of all ages, uh, is your life meaningful? And the ones that said, yeah, our life really is meaningful, then they backtracked and said, okay, let's find out if they've got a meaningful life, what is it that makes it that way? What makes their life so incredible? And what they found out was this. When they asked what makes your life different th than other people, most typically they were naming things like stress. My life is meaningful because of stress. In fact, they found out at Stanford and Florida State University that the highest number of stressful life events in the past, those people were most likely to consider their lives meaningful. And the, the people that had the fewest stressful events were saying, and my life is not meaningful. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. People with very meaningful lives have more stress than people with less meaningful lives. I think what it means is this. As we're going through stuff, we recognize there's a God above that's got to help us through this stuff. And when we're not looking above, then we're looking at each other or we're looking in the mirror or we're looking at ourselves. And there's no meaning in that. And Jesus says, you've got to transcend yourself. You've even got to transcend the relationships all around you. And you've got to come to me or you will lack meaning. And what's the best time for most people to know that meaning? It's when you're going through difficult stuff. And some of you right now are going through some difficult stuff. I'm thinking right now the mama from Dayspring that's right now with her child in the hospital. And uh, I'm thinking right now, What's it be, must mean to say, my, my son's been burned up in fire. Uh, my son needs to be told that the friends that he was in the car with are no longer alive. My son is going through hell right now. But I'm going to tell you, in all of that, there comes incredible meaning. If we will trust in God, there's incredible meaning that comes out of it all. I'm thinking right now of Miss Maureen. She, uh, she texted us this morning and says, my mom's in the hospital right now in ICU, and, and they're not thinking she's going to make it through. So you can say, hey, listen, I want to get as far away from those times as I can. Or you can say, those times are going to come. And can I say to you, if you're righteous today, 
you're about ready to have some difficult times. Can I also say this? If you're unrighteous today, you're about ready to go through some difficult times. But the righteous say, we're going to gather meaning from this. And as we gather meaning from this, we look to God above to say, Lord, help us. And God's going to use the stress of your life. God's going to use the worries of your life. God's going to use for the hell, so to speak, of your life to show you his goodness, to show you his refuge, to show you his strength. It's what happens. And by the way, you talk about a passage. Look at what Paul does in, uh, in chapter 11. Paul's talking about, all right, it's true. I've got a stressful life. It's true that I've gone through hardship. But it's not because of that hardship that I'm less of an apostle. God has added to my apostleship because of this stuff. Look at it. Chapter 11, verse 23. He's talking about the opponent. Now, are they servants of Christ? I'm going to speak now as if I'm insane, says Paul. I love this. I speak as if insane. But I'm more so. I've been in far more labors, far more imprisonments, been beaten times without number, often in danger of death. And then he just starts putting the numbers to him. I love this. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been so on so many frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city. Danger, you know a recurring element here? Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor. I've been in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without cold, often without food, in cold and exposure. My life has been stressful. And I've got a great Jesus, he says. And I commend that Jesus to you. And some of you have opened up your ears to me because of that stress. Praise be to God. But I want you to know, it's that stress that makes me who I am because the Lord meets me in those moments. Can you imagine being stoned outside of a city? I don't mean that kind of stoned. I mean stoned. They've been throwing rocks at you. You're dead outside of the city. And you rise up and say, you know, I think I'm going back into that city. <laughs> what is that? What is that? That's amazing what that is. That's a God that says, hey, I'm going to use that stoning right now for my kingdom and for my glory. And 2,000 years from now in Clinton, Mississippi, they're going to read the story about my having done that. Why? Because our God's a great God that meets us in time of our hell. Do you believe he's that kind of God? That's, not, that's kind of pitiful, Dave Spring. I want to, let's do that again. Do you believe he's that kind of God? Amen. He is that kind of God. And Paul says, I've been in hardship, and that's how I'm commended to you as an apostle. It's not because of the hardship that you say, boy, God's not really working in his life. You can say, no, because of that hardship and the way I faced it, I know that God is an awesome God. I, uh, I posted something on my Facebook page this, uh, this week. I found it. A guy named James Davison Hunter said this. He says, you know, we say we want a renewal of character in our day. But, you know, we don't really know what we ask for. To have a renewal of character is to have a renewal that constrains, that limits, that binds, that obligates, and compels. This price is too high for us to pay. You know what? I think he's got a point. Some of us say, oh, God, 
Oh God, give me a revival. Give my church a revival. Are you willing to say, put my church through hell? Because that's the price. I think a lot of us say, hey, listen, we want a national revival. We pray for national revival. We pray for a national revival. And Lord, if you could do it, could you help the stock market go up another 5,000 points? That's not a national revival. I'm going to tell you when I think, I don't know, I think national revival will come. If we have one at all, it'll come in the next depression. It'll come when you turn on the water and no water comes out. It'll come when there's no electricity in your house anymore because everything's broke, everything's broken down. We're in a depression. At that point, you'll say, God, help us and mean it. And you'll really mean it because that's when we'll look to him and he'll meet us at the point of our weakness. But if you don't have any weakness, it's far, hard for him to meet you. I'm just telling you right now. And so we say that for our family. Lord, I'm going to pray for my kid right now. I pray for Billy. Billy, I pray for Joey. I pray for uh, Sandra. I pray uh, for Julie. I pray that they'll come to know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. I pray for my prodigal right now. Well, you know what you're praying? If you really mean that prayer, then you'll say this. And Lord, if necessary, take them all the way down to hell. Let them feel the footsteps of life on their head. Let them bleed. Let them almost die, if necessary, that they will say yes to you. Do you really pray that your children would know Jesus? Do you really pray for national revival? Is the price too high? Are you really want God to move in your life? Because if you say, God, I want you to move in my life, I want a personal revival, just know there may come a price tag with that. And so I'm thinking right now, Jesus... Is the price tag too big? Let me get back to this quote. James Davison Hunter, he says, You know, we want character, but without unyielding conviction. We want strong morality, but without the emotional burden of guilt or shame. We want virtue, but without particular moral justifications that invariably offend. We want good without having to name evil. We want decency without the authority to insist upon it. We want more community without any limitations to personal freedom. In short... We want what we cannot possibly have on the terms that we want it. Some of you right now are going through hell. You're in a good place. I know it doesn't feel like it. God is about ready to do an enormous thing. Are you ready for the enormity of the moment? I'm looking down here. You can do the same thing. Look at those uh, verses 4 and 5 and then get down to verses 6 and 7. Start matching things up. I, I did this. You know, we want purity but not afflictions. We want knowledge but not hardships. We want patience but not distresses. Kindness but not beatings. We want the Holy Spirit but not tumults. We want love but not labors. We want truth but heavens, not sleeplessness. We want the power of God but we don't want hunger. How much do you want those virtues? I'm going to tell you what. The kingdom of God has been a virtuous people because they said, we'll take virtue over anything else, and if you have to take us through hell to get holiness, we're willing to deal with the hell. Jesus, could you help us have revival? 
But there's some of us here right now saying, yeah, but I don't think I want it really that bad, Lord. Whatever the preacher's talking about, not me. Him, maybe the church, but not me. But Jesus, I believe the church was full of people during this time of Paul that said, me. Whatever it takes, me. Look down here. The, the, the next thing here that I'd like to really focus on is the reality of the contrast. You know, Paul would say things like this, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I love that, don't you? And he says that, by the way, over and over and over again at the end of this passage. Ronnie read it. Over and over again, there's these contrasts that seem to come along with this uh, life of faith. You will have a contrasting life when the Holy Spirit's working strong in you. There was a letter that was written about, we think about uh, 130 A.D. or so, when they date it. And there was some disciple, we call him Mathetes, but that's the Greek word for disciple. Mathetes' letter to Diognetus. And Diognetus, he's having described to him Christianity. And in really almost poetic fashion, Mathetes says, this is the life of the Christians. I'm just going to describe it to you here. And so here's what it is. They live... In the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. Can we stop right there a minute? You know, we're entering a time of Lent right now, fasting. A lot of you have chosen to say, you know, the pastor keeps saying that. God bless him. I ain't doing that. Fasting? Are you kidding me? What moron would fast? We got food all over the place. Why would you want to say no to food? Because my tummy wants it. Here it is. Christians live in the flesh, but they're not governed by their tummy. They tell their tummy what to do. They tell their stomach, their appetites, what to do. And you control that appetite. The appetite doesn't control you. Say, some of us have some appetite for food here today. Others have an appetite for a crack. Others have an appetite that's almost uncontrollable for sex. Others have an appetite for drinking. And you finally got to come in, the, in your life where you say, appetite, I don't care what you want. Jesus is Lord of my appetites. I'm denying myself so that I can live abundantly for him. But I'm going to tell you right now, self-denial is no fun. And you've got the desire, you've got to ask the question, do I want Christ more than fun? Do I want Jesus more than my stomach? Do I want God moving in my life more than I want saying no to things that I really want. Let me get back to this letter. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they're really citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, you know, they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love men, but it's weird. All men persecute them. Condemned, because they're not understood. They're put to death, but they're raised to life again. They live in poverty, but they enrich many. They're totally destitute, but possess an abundance in everything. They suffer dishonor. Well, weirdly, that's their glory. They're defamed, but vindicated. A blessing to their answer to abuse, deference their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but you know, well, you know what they do? They rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They're attacked by the Jews as aliens. They're persecuted by the Greeks, yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. These people just keep loving. What is it with these people? And so 
we recognize in this passage you have the value of hardship. You have the reality of contrast. But the last thing is this. In the middle of this incredible passage is virtue and the key to that virtue. I want you to notice, if you look down at your Bible here, find this. In that passage, right in the middle of the virtue part of it, in fact, there's 27 things listed. We already talked about that. 27 things, the middle thing. The middle part of the virtue as well, also the middle thing of the entire passage is this. These words, in the Holy Spirit. The central thing to these 27 things, the central thing to the virtues is the Holy Spirit. Now I want to suggest something to you. Whenever you see a list like this, uh, like the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, blessed are those who hunger. Whenever you see a list like that, and it's a good list, you can say, that list is a portrait of Jesus. Now the Beatitudes are a self-portrait of Jesus. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going here to my, uh, to my paint board here, and I'm going to take a little red and say, poor in spirit, there. That's me right there. Bit of my forehead. Now I want to take the blue and say, Blessed are those whose hearts are broken over the things that break the heart of God. There, there. Then he takes a little purple here and says, Now, blessed are the meek. And brushes. And he, he makes his own self portrait. That's what I think the Beatitudes are. By the way, I think the Pauline portrait of God is things like this um, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Who do you think Paul's talking about there? That's the character of Christ. That's a character. Whenever you see a list of incredible things, that's the character of Jesus in Scripture. Here, right here, I believe you see the character of Jesus. He's pure. He's knowledgeable. He's patient. He's kind. He's in the Holy Spirit. He's love. He's truth. He's power. He is righteousness. That's a Pauline picture, a Pauline portrait of Jesus. And there ain't no way we can get to it. There's no way we can ever be like that unless we say, Holy Spirit, take over. Holy Spirit, come in me and take over. Take over my life. Let me tell you how this thing rolls. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And uh, you've got the Holy Spirit. But we've always thought there's a second definite work of Jesus in our lives. We've come to know him, and some traditions teach everything that you're ever going to have, you have right then. And we say, no, you've got to walk with Jesus a while to find out how deep of a sin problem you really have. So we believe you can be Christian, but you know there's something deeper that has to happen in our life. And we believe that is the point a particular point in your life when you say, Holy Spirit, take over. I want to be full of the Spirit. When you're saved, you have the Spirit, but at the point of entire sanctification or fully following Jesus or wholly loving Him, what you say is, Lord, take over. And we think that's typically done in two steps, salvation and then entire salvation, entire sanctification, fully following Jesus, full of the Spirit. And it's a great moment in your life when that happens. I'm going to tell you personally, my life changed more with that second step than it did the first step. I started following Jesus, but when I finally said, I'm done with this, I tried to follow Jesus uh, mostly, 
Lord, I want to follow you fully. I've got the Holy Spirit in me, but now I want to be full of that Spirit. I want to loose you, Holy Spirit, into every single bit of my life. Take over. Take over. Holy Spirit, I want to be pure. But I can't do it without your wholeness in my life. Holy Spirit, I want to be loved, but I can't do it without the loving Spirit absolutely taking over my life. Holy Spirit, I need for you to come in and make me a person, a man of truth. Lord, come in. I need for you to make me a woman of power. Lord, come in. My church needs to be a weapon of righteousness, but there's no way we're going to be without you filling this church to the brim. Anybody in? Anybody in? This is what it'll mean. If you're in, then you're willing to say, hardship, if necessary, bring it on. Because with Jesus, I'm a conqueror. <laughs> with Jesus, I'm going to come out stronger than ever. With Jesus, my life is going to have impact. No matter how many times I'm beaten, no matter how many times I've gone broke, no matter how many times I've gone through hell and back, Jesus is going to do an incredible thing in me and through me through the hardship and through the tough times. They say, I'd love to go there someday. You go down to the catacombs of Rome. It's where the Christians used to hide out. It's, it's where the Christians used to do their thing. But they say they're buried down there. There's tombs down there. And they say at the place of their tombs, there's three things that keep showing up. There's a, a dove. You'll keep seeing a dove. You'll keep seeing an, an ichthus, and the ichthus is a fish, and the fish actually has ichthus written in it, which means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So you see a fish, and then you'll see an anchor. Now, I love all of this. First off, the dove, you might imagine that means the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus at the point of his baptism, and ever since, uh, we've decided a dove's a beautiful picture for the Holy Spirit. And so I think those people were saying, our lives are characterized by the Holy Spirit. But then they said, yeah, but that Holy Spirit leads us into Christ-likeness. And that's why they would make a fish. Is we know the Holy Spirit is doing His work in our lives when we become like Jesus, love like Jesus loves. Have our heart broken like it broke the heart of Jesus. Uh, when, when, when life comes in and we can find joy in even persecution. We know these things are happening, the power of the Holy Spirit, when we become like Jesus. By the way, a lot of people say, and I don't buy it for a minute, that the whole evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is tongues. Can I say what it is? Scripturally what it is? It's Christ-likeness. I used to have friends that used to speak in tongues and go out in the back and smoke reefers. I'm thinking, now, do I have a problem with that? Yeah, I think I do have a problem with that. That's not evidence of the Holy Spirit. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is you become like Jesus. Are you willing to become like Jesus, even to the point of dying on a cross? Are you willing to become like Jesus? But then there was another third symbol, and it was an anchor. Say anchor? Why an anchor? And the anchor was there simply because whatever you're going through, whether it's insecure times, whether it's persecution, whether you're bleeding, whether you're dying, whatever it is, His hope anchors our soul. 
I like them all three together, don't you? That the Holy Spirit comes on and he says, I want to bring you the virtue of Jesus. And when you've got that, you will be an anchor. I will be an anchor through you at your place of business. I will be an anchor through you in your neighborhood. I will be an anchor through you in your marriage and in your family. I will be an anchor through you whatever difficult times come. And can I say it again? If you're righteous here today, difficult times are going to come. If you're unrighteous here today, difficult times are going to come. I say, if they're going to come anyway, let me take them on with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me take them on with the dove. Amen? Amen? Let me take them on with the anchor. Amen? Amen? Would you please stand? Lord Jesus, we want to accept the dove in our life today. The power of the Holy Spirit. We want that dove to fill us up. Because we want to be like you. We want to be like you. Poised as you were poised. Victorious as you were victorious. Lord, we want to be like you. And Lord Jesus, when we're like you, that anchor will seem more real than ever before. Lord Jesus, there are some people here today. Not everybody, I get that. But there are some people here today that are tired of, of just being a Christian. They want to be a spirit-filled Christian. They want to know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives so that all of a sudden their lives are on a whole nother level. They want to be full of you, not just so they can speak in tongues, not just so they can do signs and wonders, not just so they can have the miracles of the gospel, but so they can have the greatest miracle of all, and that's Christ's likeness in a soul. Lord Jesus, there's some people here today that want that. Lord Jesus, fill us to the uttermost. Take us all the way. Give us the grace to follow you fully and to love you and others with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and strength. And Jesus, if you don't do it here today and somebody that really wants it done, could you help them to continue groaning after it? to continue to desire it so much they keep asking for it, asking for it, asking for it. I'm going to pray this for them, Lord, that during this time of Lent, as we move towards the cross, as we move towards Easter, Lord Jesus, Resurrection Day, that you'll do something profound in them. Fill them to the brim. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Hallelujah. And amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.